Well, good morning, everyone. And thank you, Jeff. That's uh, one of my favorite hymns. Uh, I know you probably didn't know that, but it is, so thank you. You did? Well, sweet, thank you. That's a blessing. Please take your Bibles and turn to Genesis 34 today, Genesis 34, for our study. Uh, hopefully you can buy, have your Bible with you or grab one out of the pew rack in front of you so you can read, around, read along in our study. And I do want to thank uh, our crew that came in on Saturday, actually Friday and Saturday, and did our paint job. We refreshed our living room here a little bit, so it looks fantastic. So thanks, uh, Gary, and all your crew. Thank you, Gary. Gary, are you there? Thank you. <laughs> yeah, that's well, awesome. And next up, the green carpet's going to go soon. Yes. And then uh, these speaker clusters will be centralized and... We won't sound so boxy. We'll be brand new speakers with, you know, the, the high ends and the low ends all carrying. It'll be great. So just stay tuned for that. Still in process. So we are in Genesis 34. And as we come to this particular account, uh, this particular account is, for lack of a better way of saying it, it's pretty intense. And uh, it's a bit graphic. And uh, again, our, this is uh, Oakwood Bible Church, and so we're going to teach the Bible. We're not going to shy away from things that God has revealed to us through this text, but uh, you'll see what I mean as we go along with this particular chapter. And so here we go. Here we have Moses continuing a discussion on the early things regarding Jacob, who is Israel. First one, now Dinah, the daughter of Leah, whom she had borne to Jacob, went out to see the women of the land. And when Shechem, the son of Hamor, the Hivite, the prince of the land, saw her, he seized her and lay with her and humiliated her. And his soul was drawn to Dinah, the daughter of Jacob. He loved the young woman and spoke tenderly to her. So Shechem spoke to his father Hamor, saying, Get me this girl for my wife. Now Jacob heard that he had defiled his daughter Dinah, but his sons were with his livestock in the field, so Jacob held his peace until they came. And Hamor, the father of Shechem, went out to Jacob to speak with them. And the sons of Jacob had come in from the field as soon as they heard of it. And the men were indignant and very angry because he had done an outrageous thing in Israel by lying with Jacob's daughter, for such a thing must not be done. But Hamor spoke with him, saying, The soul of my son Shechem longs for your daughter. Please give her to him to be his wife. Make marriages with us. Give your daughters to us and take our daughters for yourselves. You shall dwell with us and the land shall be open to you. Dwell and trade in it and get property in it. Shechem also said to her father and to her brothers, Let me find favor in your eyes, and whatever you say to me, I will give. Ask me for, a, a, as, ask me for as great a bride price and gift as you will, and I'll give whatever you say to me. Only give me the young woman to be my wife. And the sons of Jacob answered Shechem and his father Hamor deceitfully, because he had defiled their sister Dinah. They said to them, we cannot do this thing to give our sister to one who is uncircumcised, for that would be a disgrace to us. Only on this condition will we agree with you, that you'll become as we are by every male among you being circumcised. 
Then we will give our daughters to you, and we will take your daughters to ourselves, and we will dwell with you and become one people. But if you will not listen to us and be circumcised, then we will take our daughter and we will be gone. Their words pleased Hamor and Hamor's son Shechem. And the young man did not delay to do the thing because he delighted in Jacob's daughter. Now he was the most honored of all his father's house. So Hamor and his son Shechem came to the gate of their city and spoke to the men of their city saying, these men are at peace with us. Let them dwell in the land and trade in it. For behold, the land is large enough for them. Let us take their daughters as wives and let us give them our daughters. Only on this condition will the men agree to dwell with us to become one people when every male among us is circumcised as they are circumcised. Will not their livestock, their property, and all their beasts be ours? Only let us agree with them and they will dwell with us. And all who went out of the gate of his city listened to Hamor and his son Shechem and every male was circumcised. All who went out of the gate of his city on the third day when they were sore, Two of the sons of Jacob, Simeon and Levi, Dinah's brothers, took their swords and came against the city while it felt secure and killed all the males. They killed Hamor and his son Shechem with the sword and took Dinah out of Shechem's house and went away. And the sons of Jacob came upon the slain and plundered the city because they had defiled their sister they took their flocks and their herds, their donkeys, and whatever was in the city and in the field, all their wealth, all their little ones and their wives, all that was in the houses they captured and plundered. Then Jacob said to Simeon and Levi, you have brought trouble on me by making me stink to the inhabitants of the land, the Canaanites and the Perizzites. My numbers are few, and if they gather themselves against me and attack me, I shall be destroyed, both I and my household. But they said, should he treat our sister like a prostitute? May the Lord add his blessing at the hearing and the reading of his word this morning. All of us have had to deal with various injustices in our world. While some are perceived injustices, others are quite real. We've all been there, right? Where the boss at work snubs you, so you decide to perform at a lower performance level. Well, I'll show him. Your husband or wife disappoints you, so you withhold your affection, withdraw from them. Well, I'll warm up to her as soon as she warms up to me. You're driving down the road having a great day, and then someone cuts you off in traffic. Why, I oughta. Just this past Sunday, three of my former students from Jackson Hole Bible College, where I teach for a week every winter, along with two of their friends, all five of them were killed by a chain reaction accident on Highway 80 in Wyoming. That all started when a drunk driver going the wrong way forced a semi into the oncoming lane of traffic where it slammed into a pickup truck with these five students traveling home to Arkansas. After a great week visiting friends at the Bible College, and tragically, the semi and pickup burst into flames and none of the students survived. And two of the students were sisters, which means for one mom and dad, they lost their two youngest daughters in one tragic moment. We can all imagine the rage and anger of this father and mother 
must have experienced toward this drunk driver when they heard the news. Why I oughta. But as we'll see in our study today, our passions and desires have the potential for great defilement and destruction, no matter how justified we think we are in them. If we're not careful, our anger will consume us with thoughts of revenge and retaliation. However, we are called to turn away from deceitful retaliation, self-indulgent greed, and heart murder. Ultimately, we are called to guide our lives and our families in righteousness and obedience. We've gone back to the beginning in our study of Genesis. Today's focus, overcoming retaliation, revenge, main idea here is revenge is just not the answer. From the very beginning, God has created us to be in relationship with him. But way back in Genesis chapter 3, we, we disrupted God's beautiful and perfect plan through our rebellion against him in the Garden of Eden. And subsequently, God promised that he would redeem a people unto himself through the seed of a woman. A child was promised who would come into the world and destroy the evil one once and for all. And so as the book of Genesis unfolds, we've seen this seed line of our promised redeemer traced through Adam and Eve's son, Seth, and eventually to Noah, and then eventually to Terah, who's the father of Abraham. And then God promised Abraham to be his God and to bless Abraham and his descendants. God gave a threefold blessing to Abraham, which included the promise of land, the promise of a multitude of descendants, and an ongoing relationship with Abraham of blessing and from Abraham, the seed line of a promised redeemer continued through Isaac and then to Isaac's son, Jacob. In recent weeks, we've seen how God has dealt with Jacob. Last week, we saw how Jacob and Esau were miraculously reconciled after Jacob had deceived his brother, Esau, 20 years earlier. And as, as we've seen, as Jacob approached Esau, Jacob encounters God and ends up wrestling with God all night. And in the process, God changes Jacob's name to Israel. With the name change comes a great change of character. And in the previously conniving, egocentric Jacob, he's now a different person. But today we will see how God's purpose in setting apart the descendants of Abraham comes into jeopardy with a proposal of marriage between Dinah and Shechem and the subsequent rampant retaliation against the Canaanites from Simeon and Levi, Jacob's second and third born of Leah. From our text, there are at least six principles to help us overcome our desire for revenge and retaliation. But before we study, let's ask God's help because we're going to need it as we study. Would you please pray with me? Our gracious Heavenly Father, this is a big passage with incredible import to all of us in this room. All of us have been slighted. All of us have been hurt by other people who do foolish things. Lord, we need to learn how to respond to those things in righteousness. Our culture, our world just does not do very good at this at all. The training on it is horrible. But Lord, help us to learn from you today, from this negative example that we have before us on how not to live, on how not to be. Oh God, teach us. So Lord, open your word to us. Open our hearts and our minds that we might receive it as from the Holy Spirit. So Lord, have your way in our hearts, we ask as we study. We pray this in your son's wonderful and awesome name. Amen. 
If you have your sermon notes outlined, here's the first truth, and these are going to go rather quickly, so stay with me. First of all, our passions and desires have the potential for great defilement and destruction. First of all, here under this motif, we need to recognize that cultural curiosity will expose you to unnecessary risks. And this is what seems to be happening with Dinah. Notice what it says in verse one, now Dinah, the daughter of Leah, whom she had borne to Jacob, went out to see the women of the land. Now, again, this seems innocent enough. She was just curious, perhaps, about the other women in the land that, where they're living. What could be the harm in that? Seems harmless enough. Perhaps she was looking for companionship with other young girls in the land. But sometimes, even in the midst of that, God allows terrible things to take place for his purposes. We need to understand that we live in a dangerous and fallen world. And everywhere we look, we see the constancy of sin and rebellion, along with ongoing tragedy and pain. Let's remember our circumstance. We need to understand and remember it's because of sin. We've brought all of this on ourselves. We all now, because of sin, come under God's judgment and destruction because of the fall of Adam and Eve. And all of us are dealing with the ongoing effects of human sin and rebellion against the holy and righteous God where calamities strike, illness and disease reign, relationships are broken and loved ones are lost. But in this account, it would seem that cultural curiosity exposed this young lady, this young woman to unnecessary risks. And by the way, this is exactly what happened to King Solomon, you'll recall. Now, this won't be on the screen, but from 1 Kings 11, we read this. Now, King Solomon loved many foreign women, along with the daughter of Pharaoh, Moabite, Ammonite, Edomite, Sidonian, and Hittite women, from the nations concerning which the Lord had said to the people of Israel, you shall not enter into marriage with them, neither shall they with you, for surely they will turn away your heart after their gods. Solomon clung to these in love, it says, he had 700 wives who were princesses and 300 concubines, and his wives turned away his heart. This will be on the screen. For when Solomon was old, his wives turned away his heart after other gods, and his heart was not wholly true to the Lord his God. That's what puts us at risk when we engage in a cultural curiosity. For Solomon went after the Ashtaroth, the goddess of the Sidonians, and after Milcom, the abomination of the Ammonites. So Solomon did what was evil in the sight of the Lord and did not wholly follow the Lord as David his father had done. Solomon's wanton curiosity and overt obsession with pleasure put the whole nation of Israel at risk. As a matter of fact, it's the, this nation was completely split in two because of Solomon's failure here. Similarly, it would seem that Dinah's curiosity about the foreign women of the land put her and her family at risk as well. But secondly, we turn to Shechem and his responsibility here more than all else. Secondly, here, unbridled passions and desires will consume you. If you don't govern them, they will consume you. Verse 2, and when Shechem, the son of Hamor, the Hivite, the prince of the land, saw her, he seized her and lay with her and humiliated her, just like that. Now, Shechem might have appeared to Dinah as an attractive possibility, but it was Shechem's passions and desires that overwhelmed him, and he was consumed by them. Beloved, never, ever, never, ever act on the sinful impulses of your passions and desires. 
Notice the progression of unbridled passions and desires. He saw her. That's where it started. He took a look. And in looking, he then took. He then seized her. He then lay with her. He, through all of that, he humiliates her. In a word, he raped her, which is absolutely detestable. Further, it seems clear that Shechem is not in love with Dinah at all, but rather, it would seem that he is merely in lust with her. He wants her for what he can have from her instead of loving her for who she is. Beloved, any sexual activity outside the bonds of marriage between one man and one woman is classified clearly throughout all of Scripture. Paul writes in Thessalonians, 1 Thessalonians 4, for this is the will of God, your sanctification. In other words, God wants to sanctify you. He wants to set you apart as holy. If you put your faith and trust as Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, God is purposing to make you righteous. And so God says, for this is the will of God. Through Paul here, as he writes to this church, your sanctification, your holiness, that you abstain from sexual immorality, that each one of you know how to control his own body in holiness and honor, not in the passion of lust like the Gentiles who do not know God, that no one transgress and wrong his brother in this matter because the Lord is an avenger in all these things. As we told you beforehand and solemnly warned you, for God has not called us for impurity, but in holiness. The whole point of the gospel of Jesus Christ is to make you holy. It's the whole point. But there are some of us who refuse to control our bodies. That's what it just said. Abstain from sexual immorality, that each one of you know how to control his own body in holiness and honor. And we're like, well, I don't want to be controlled. I want to do what I want to do. Well, then look forward to the consequences of that. This won't be on the screen, but in Galatians 5, there's this discussion about what it means to walk in the spirit versus walking in the flesh. Paul reminds the churches of Galatia. He says, for you were called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. It's the golden rule. This is how we should care for each other. But if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you're not consumed by one another. But I say walk by the Spirit and you'll not gratify the desires of the flesh. Are you hearing that? If you are truly walking with him, walking in the Spirit of God, you will not defile yourself. You will not follow after the desires of the flesh. Why? Well, the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh, for they are opposed to each other. There's this fight, there's a battle going on between the Spirit and our flesh to keep you from doing the things you want to do. But if you are led by the Spirit, you're not under the law. Now, if you weren't sure, hear the works of the flesh, sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of rage, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these, Paul says, I warn you as I warned you before that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, oh, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. 
And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Is that the case for you? Have you given yourself to him to such a degree that yes, I am yours. I lay my life down. Isn't that what Jesus said to do? Deny yourself, pick up my cross. Pick up your cross now and follow me, he says. Deny self, pick up your cross, follow him. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. Beloved, don't ever be a part of defiling or defrauding others. Unbridled passions and desires will consume you. But thirdly here, selfish ambition will always bring rebellion and chaos. Look at verse 3. It says of Shechem here, and his soul was drawn to Dinah, the daughter of Jacob. He loved the young woman and spoke tenderly to her. So Shechem spoke to his father Hamar saying, get me this girl for my wife. This doesn't sound like a wonderful love affair. It's like, get the girl for me. I I want her now. Who's this guy about? Himself. Selfish ambition will always bring rebellion and chaos. By the way, notice the cultural problems here. From Shechem and Hamor's perspective, it seems that a young man taking advantage of a young woman is culturally normative. There's no apology. There's no remorse for what has taken place. But James, the brother of Christ, says this in 3.16, For where jealousy and selfish ambition exists, there will be disorder in every vile practice. Right? When all we are is just about ourselves, all we're going to see is destruction, chaos, and difficulty. James goes on to say in verse 17 of 3, but the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere, and a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. Paul adds in Philippians 2, 3, do nothing. How many things? Nothing, zero, goose egg, nada. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Are you seeing these things? Selfish ambition will always bring rebellion and chaos. Unbridled passions and desires will consume you. Cultural curiosity will expose you to unnecessary risks. Our passions and desires have the potential for great defilement and destruction. But secondly here this morning, and don't miss this, We need to turn away from anger. Look what happens in verse five. And now Jacob heard that he had defiled his daughter Dinah, but his sons are with his livestock in the field. Watch this. This is a curious statement. So Jacob held his peace until they came. And Hamor, the father of Shechem, went out to Jacob to speak with them. And the sons of Jacob had come in from the field as soon as they heard of it. And the men were indignant and very angry because he had done an outrageous thing in Israel by lying with Jacob's daughter, for such a thing must not be done. But Hamor spoke with them, saying, The soul of my son Shechem longs for your daughter. Please give her to him to be his wife. Make marriages with us. Give your daughters to us and take our daughters for yourselves. You shall dwell with us and the land shall be open to you and, and dwell and trade in it and get property in it. And Shechem also said to her father and to her brothers, let me find favor in your eyes. And whatever you say to me, I will give. And as, and ask me 
for as great a bride price and gift as you will, and I will give whatever you say to me. Only give me the young woman to be my wife. Give her to me. I want to have her. But notice how angry these boys are. Now, I'd like to suggest to you that it's one thing to have a righteous indignation, which is appropriate here, because what took place was not right. It was not good. It was awful. And so should these men, these, these brothers of Dinah be upset? Yes. But it's one thing to have a righteous indignation. It's, it's the next thought, why I oughta. That's where it goes wrong. We need to turn away from our anger. Matter of fact, Paul acknowledges this in Ephesians 4.26. He says, be angry. Really? Paul's telling us, be angry? Yeah. And do not sin. <laughs> okay. Oh, okay. We're going to get upset. Things are going to bother us. We're going to get annoyed. So you can be angry, but don't sin in it. It's the next thought. It's what I do next that's the problem. It's what I think next, and then what I do that can be destructive. You need to turn away from anger. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger, he says, and give no opportunity to the devil. You mean when I just sit and dwell on it, I'm giving the evil one an opportunity? Yes, you are. You're inviting him to dance with you. Psalm 37. The psalmist reminds us, refrain from anger and forsake wrath. Fret not yourself. That means don't be upset. Don't upset yourself. It tends only to evil. For the evildoers shall be cut off, but those who wait for the Lord shall inherit the land. In other words, can we trust God for what he's ultimately doing, or will we take matters into our own hands? The psalmist goes on in verse 10 of 37. In just a little while, the wicked will be no more. Though you look carefully at his place, he will not be there. Solomon in Proverbs writes, whoever is slow to anger has great understanding, but he who has a hasty temper exalts folly. Ecclesiastes, again, Solomon says, be not quick in your spirit to become angry, for anger lodges in the heart of fools. Like I said, it's one thing to be angry. It's another thing for us to let anger move in and live in our world. We become foolish. Paul reminds us in Ephesians 4, let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Get it out of here. Rather, be kind to one another. There's a crazy thought. Be kind, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God and Christ forgave you. Do you understand what's being said here? If I truly understand how much I have been forgiven, I should be the kind of person running around trying to figure out how to forgive those who have offended me at all times. James 119 says, Know this, my beloved brothers, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. Are you the person with a short fuse ready to just blow up and go off on people? Watch this, verse 20 of James 1, for the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Why? Because it can't. Beloved, we need to turn away from anger. But thirdly here, we also need to turn away from deceitful retaliation. Notice what the text says in verse 13, as these brothers who are now angry are now going to sit in their anger, and now they're going to stew in their anger, and they're going to start developing plans in their anger. The sons of Jacob answered Shechem and his father Hamor deceitfully. They know exactly what they're doing here, because he had defiled their sister Dinah. 
And now this is where this goes really wrong. And they said to them, we cannot do this thing to give our sister to one who is uncircumcised, for that would be a disgrace to us. Only on this condition will we agree with you that you will become as we are by every male among you being circumcised. Then we will give our daughters to you and we will take your daughters to ourselves and we will dwell with you and become one people. But if you will not listen to us and be circumcised, then we will take our daughter and we will be gone. We're out of here. The sons of Israel did not want them to be circumcised to make them holy. Make sure you understand that. They're not trying to help them be good Jews. No, they're trying to make them sore and therefore all the easier to overtake them. Leviticus 19.18, God says to the people of Israel and vicariously he says to us in this room, you shall not take vengeance or bear a grudge against the sons of your own people, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. That's the call. Yeah, but did you hear what they did? You shall not take vengeance or bear a grudge against the sons of your own people, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Well, yeah, I understand with our own people we shouldn't do that. Well, but what about those other people? Solomon writes, Proverbs 24, do not rejoice when your enemy falls and let not your heart be glad when he stumbles. Lest the Lord see it and be displeased and turn away his anger from him. Fret not yourself because of evildoers and be not envious of the wicked. Can we just not worry about those who are just determined to be destructive? Can we trust God in that? Will we wait on him to do what he's gonna do? For the evil man has no future. God will deal with them. The lamp of the wicked will be put out. God can handle it. But we're like, no, you're not handling it fast enough the way I think you should, so watch me, I'm gonna do it. And we're just silly. And we give ourselves a lot of difficulty all the more through our own want and desires to mete out our own justice. Paul reminds us in Romans 12, 14, bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. And we saw this last week as we looked at this very passage. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. The na our natural inclination is, man, they did me evil. I need to get them back. And by the way, isn't that what our culture is selling us? Look at the movies, the television shows. You know, whoever's got the smart, smart aleck response, well, you gotta have a smarter, you know, smart aleck response back to them. I'll show you. And the whole show is about how I get that person who did this thing to me. Sometimes we'll waste three hours waiting for the, the bad guy to get his comeuppance. Understand how horrible this is for us. This is not good for us. Dwelling on how do we get people back horribly. That's not from God, it's from the pit. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it's written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. In other words, God can handle this. The question is, will we trust him in it? Vengeance is mine. Nowhere in scripture is it ever commended that we are to take vengeance into our own hands. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him, Jesus says. 
If he is thirsty, give him something to drink, for by so doing, you'll heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Beloved, we need to turn away from deceitful retaliation. But fourthly here, we need to turn away from self-indulgent greed. Notice how Hamor and Shechem and their people, they're all looking at the situation. Hey, we could really do really great here. This is awesome. Their words please Hamor and Hamor's son Shechem. Verse 19, the young man did not delay to do the thing because he delighted in Jacob's daughter. Now he was the most honored of all his father's house. And so Hamor and his son Shechem came to the gate of their city and spoke to the men of their city saying, these men are at peace with us. No, they're not, man. You just did something you have no clue that's been so offensive to them. Let them dwell in the land and trade in it. For behold, the land is large enough for them. Let us take their daughters as wives and let us give them our daughters. We'll we'll get a bunch of new brides. This will be great. Only on this condition will the men agree to dwell with us to become one people when every male among us is circumcised as they are circumcised. You can imagine all these guys are hearing this going, huh? Well, okay. Yeah, we'll get stuff. Yeah, will not their livestock, their property, and all their beasts be ours? Oh, they're willing to do whatever to get whatever they want. This is called greed. Only let us agree with them, and they will dwell with us. And all who went out of the gate of the city listened to Hamor and his son Shechem, and every male was circumcised, all who went out of the gate of the city. Proverbs 13.25 says, The righteous has enough to satisfy his appetite, but the belly of the wicked suffers want. If you're that person, well, I just want a little more, and I'm going to find a way to get it. I'm going to sneak around. I'm going to play the lottery ticket. I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to maneuver. I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to win. You're driven by greed. Ephesians 4:28 says, "Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor, doing honest work with his own hands, so that he may have something to share with anyone in need." We shouldn't have the mindset of trying to take advantage of other people. Beloved, we live in a culture where it is normative to try to take advantage of others in various ways, to take, taking advantage of other people financially. You know, one for you and two for me, we say, or, or relationally, using others to further our own ends, or personally, at least I'm better than you are. Here, the greed of these men becomes their own undoing. They go for it, hook, line, and sinker. As my dad would say, just because it's an open door, it doesn't mean that it's not an elevator shaft. We need to turn away from self-indulgent greed. But fifthly here, the fifth principle here, we need to turn our hearts away from murder because this is what's gonna happen with these boys of Jacob. And on the third day when they were sore, two of the sons of Jacob, Simeon and Levi, Dai and his brothers took their swords and came against the city while it felt secure and killed all the males. Well, let's stop here for a second. Did what take place? Was that horrible? Absolutely. But does this mean that everybody needs to die? That's over the top. This is not justice at all. This is just outright vengeance and hatred. And they killed Hamor and his son Shechem with the sword and took Dinah out of Shechem's house and went away. The sons of Jacob came upon the slain and plundered the city because they had defiled their sister. So here, first of all, we've got these two guys, Simeon and Levi, who are bringing destruction on these men. 
And now the other kids, the other sons of Jacob, they now participate in plundering the city because they had defiled their sister. And they took their flocks and their herds and their donkeys and whatever was in the city and in the field, all their wealth, all their little ones and their wives, all that was in the houses they captured and plundered. Notice the progression of how this took place. Unresolved anger turns into plots of revenge. And plots of revenge turn into heart murder. And heart murder, left to run its course, turns into actual murder. That's exactly what's happened. Unresolved anger, which turns into plots of revenge. And plots of revenge turn into heart murder. And heart murder, left to run its course, turns into actual outright murder. Jesus said in Matthew 5.21, you've heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not murder, and whoever murders will be liable to the judgment. But I say to you, Jesus says, but I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. And you go, oh. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council. Whoever says, you fool, will be liable to, the, to hell fire. Beloved, we need to govern our hearts and our minds, taking every thought captive unto obedience and submission to Christ. We need to turn our hearts away from murder. But then lastly, and don't miss this, we need to guide our families in righteousness and obedience. Notice in all of this, there's no discipline whatsoever that comes to these sons of Jacob. He kind of whines about it at the end here. Do you see this in verse 30? Then Jacob said to Simeon and Levi, you've brought trouble on me by making me stink to the inhabitants of the land. Who's Jacob worried about now? He's worried about himself. The Canaanites and the Parasites, my numbers are few, and if they gather themselves against me and attack me, I shall be destroyed. Both I and my household, there's no discipline here. There's no leading in righteousness. There's no teaching in obedience. And of course, uh, he hasn't taught them very well because they start talking back to him. They said, should he treat our sister like a prostitute? Throughout this passage, Jacob offers no discipline for his sons. And where there is no discipline, there will be no respect. Where there's no respect, there will be outright rebellion. I've seen it. But Jacob kept silent about his son's treachery. In verse 5, he didn't talk much about it. Notice also that God is never mentioned in this entire account. Did you notice that? God isn't brought up in this. Why? God is the furthest thing from everyone's minds here. We're all about ourselves. But God will have the final say, and he uses Jacob in it, in Genesis 49.5, by way of the blessings to all the boys what does Jacob say? What does Israel say? In verse five, Simeon and Levi are brothers. Weapons of violence are their swords. Let my soul come not into their counsel. Oh, my glory, be not joined to their company, for in their anger they killed men, and in their willfulness they hamstrung oxen. Cursed be their anger, for it is fierce, and their wrath, for it is cruel. I will divide them in Jacob and scatter them in Israel, which, by the way, is exactly what happens Simeon and Levi. Of course, Levi ends up becoming the priestly tribe in God's hands. Well, I started this discussion today sharing with you about a horrible accident. 
this last week, just a few days ago, after this accident took place, the Cowboy State Daily newspaper interviewed the father of two of the girls, the two sisters. And in the interview, this is what the interviewer learned. Susie Prime was 18, loved pink, shopping, playing soccer, and pizza with ketchup on it. Her older sister, Andrea Prime, was 23, had a stubborn streak, was a talented artist, and could beat just about anybody in foosball. Those are some of the things Phil Prime says he'll remember about his daughters, who were two of five young people from Arkansas killed on a Wyoming highway Sunday evening, returning from a week-long visit to Jackson Hole Bible College. You're talking about two girls who are just your normal type girls, loving the Lord, Phil Prime told Cowboy State Daily. They could sing, and they could sing very well. There will be a couple of voices missing now. Susie and Andrea Prime were in a Ford F-150 truck that was hit head-on by a semi-trailer on Interstate 80 east of Rawlins, Wyoming, a little before 7 p.m. Sunday. The commercial truck had swerved from the opposite lane to avoid a chain reaction crash caused by a Dodge Ram truck driving the wrong way on the interstate. When the semi-trailer hit the Ford, both bursts into flames. The Wyoming Highway Patrol reports, and while the driver of the semi survived, all five friends in the Ford, ranging in age from 18 to 23, they all died. Traveling with Susie and Andrea Prime were Solomon Correa, Magdalene Franco, and Ava Luplo. While sad and grieving the loss of his children and the other three killed in the crash, he collectively called them our kids. Phil Prime said his family's deep faith has prepared them to respond with compassion and forgiveness, not a desire for vengeance. We could become angry and we could become bitter, but all those things destroy you, he writes. He said from the family's home in Sherwood, Arkansas, those feelings don't help you. The driver of the Dodge that triggered the fatal crash, fatal crash, a 57-year-old of Limestone, Tennessee, is suspected of driving while impaired and remains in the Carbon County Jail, awaiting other potential charges. Some parents in Prime's place would be consumed with a desire for vengeance, but he said his faith and belief in God is helping his family deal with the sudden loss. He's also content knowing that should he be convicted, this driver will face severe consequences from the court system and God. Quote, the state government steps in and generally makes people accountable in that sense. So I don't go out looking for vengeance or justice, Prime said. He's obviously going to pay time in prison, but I'm not the judge or jury on that, which for that I'm thankful, he says. Possibly a more fitting consequence for the driver is that he's also going to have to live with himself, he said. Prime says, he did not ruin our lives. Yeah, our lives are changed permanently. We take it one day at a time. Quote, but all five of those young people in the vehicle were believers in Christ and were Christians, and they would want their death to be for the Lord's honor and glory, not some vehicle to promote hate. And as the criminal justice system proceeds against the driver of the Dodge, Prime said he's okay with letting that system work through itself. Quote, I could wish him the worst, but he's already going to get that, he said. What can I say or do to that person that would actually help me or my family? Nothing. 
I'm not going to cry for 100 years in jail. That's not going to do anything for my kids. Until then, the prime family, Phil, his wife, and the remaining three older children, they have holes left by two daughters and sisters suddenly stripped from their lives. Phil Prime said he'll miss those hugs Susie always had for her dad, and family sing-alongs will sound sound off without their voices, and the house also seems much larger than before. Yeah, there used to be two kids in each room, and now it's only one in each room, he said. And like many other fathers would say in his place, Prime said he'd like just five minutes. I'd like just five minutes alone with the person who caused the crash that took five young lives. I just want five minutes with him. I'd love to have five minutes with him, he said, to share the gospel and to tell him I forgive him. You go, what? I think that's right. I think that's where we need to end up. So that God gets all the glory and that God has his way in all of this. Beloved, our passions and desires have the potential for great defilement and destruction. We need to turn away from anger. We need to turn away from deceitful retaliation. We need to turn away from self-indulgent greed. We need to turn our hearts away from murder. Look what's going on in our, in our cities, our towns, and our homes. We need to guide our families in righteousness and obedience. Notice this father has three other kids. What do you think he's teaching them? Would you please stand with me as we close our service? Let's pray. Our gracious Heavenly Father, from time to time, Lord, we find ourselves very angry with people around us, sometimes even in our own house. But Lord, help us not to be overcome with revenge and retaliation. Help us to deny ourselves, pick up our cross and follow you as we see here in the beautiful example of Phil Prime, who just wants an opportunity to share the gospel with this man who took away his daughters. And Lord, we stand amazed at that because we wonder if we could say those things in a moment like that. But the same token, we look at it and we marvel because we know that's what's right and good. Lord, you know the hearts before me You know if there's someone here who's got a heart of revenge, a heart of retaliation, even right now. Lord, I pray even right now they would just put their weapons down. They would just hand it all over to you. Say, Lord, this is yours. I'm tired of carrying this stuff around. Knowing full well that as we do, it just destroys our our own souls with our own anger or horrible thoughts. Lord, you've called us to freedom, freedom from these things because of the gospel. We don't have to live in these prisons that we create for ourselves and our own minds because of our own anger, our own frustrations, our own sense of justice. Oh God, may we submit all those things to you for your care, trusting that you will make the difference in your time for your purposes. Lord, we do pray for 
the congregation back in Arkansas that's grieving over the loss of these five lives. They all went to the same church. And today is the first Sunday back, and they're all trying to find a way to worship with their loss. And Lord, for the community at Jackson Hole Bible College, who had this great week of time with these kids, and they're all now hurting. But Lord, we thank you for your faithfulness, that we can always turn to you, and you're always there, and you care, and you're the one who makes all the difference. Lord, for those in our midst here who might yet be hurting with something else completely different, Lord, I pray that you would bring comfort, that you would bring encouragement, that we'd come to a place where we weren't fretting ourselves over evildoers anymore. We're not worrying about that, but we're focusing on following you and trusting you with our very lives because you are so worthy of our trust. So Lord, thank you for this moment and this week where we've been able to turn to you and to see the beauty and the wonder of who you are and what you can accomplish in our hearts and lives if we just simply trust you. So Lord, help us to be about that. Thank you, Lord. We want you to receive all the praise today. I pray this in your son's wonderful and awesome name and all God's people said, amen. Thank you so much for coming. Have a fantastic week.